What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling and cousin of the pod, Chris Trevino. We have a fun show for you guys today. We have a lot to talk about. USC has more additions to its roster, to picking up two more guys, one via transfer, one via commitment. So we'll get into that. They also picked up a guy again. I don't know if you would describe it that way, but they have a guy returning uh, on the basketball team. Isaiah Mobley returns for his junior season. We'll get into that. I know Shotgun is chomping at the bit to give his takes. And then we'll talk about Lee Levin. We were there for the whole week last week. We got to see USC's commit, Devin Brown, shine out uh, in that week, raising his national profile. We'll get into that. And then it's officially been a week as of recording this of name, image, and likeness. We'll talk about what we've seen so far in the world of college football and what we've seen from USC's players. And, of course, we'll answer all of your emails, text, questions, all that good stuff, DMs. We love hearing from you guys, so thanks for sending in your questions each week. And speaking of questions, as a reminder, if you guys want to send them in, you can email them to us at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. You can also tweet at Shotgun when he sends out his weekly question tweet, or you can DM us your questions. It's interesting, Shotgun. We get a lot of DM questions. People are a little shy to, to ask their questions publicly. Yeah, but it's okay. That's why email's there as well. If you think of a question in the middle of the week, like, oh, I got to get these guys' opinion on it. And that's what the email's there for as well, familyfeudpod at gmail. But you can hit us up through DMs as well. Just you know, make sure that you note in the DM or the question, if it's in the middle of the week, that it is for the Family Feud Pod so that we you know, save it for the pod instead of trying to answer it immediately. Yeah, exactly. Well, like I mentioned, guys, USC – Picked up a couple more additions to its roster this week. Now, it started out as a joke, a joke question on the regular pod, the Keely Ryan pod. Someone asked, uh, since Jake Smith entered the transfer portal, where will he fit in USC's depth chart? Because he is a Texas uh, guy in the transfer portal. People just assume, oh, he's going to come to USC. Well, what do you know? He commits to USC on Monday, or at least announced it. We heard that he committed last week. This is a little different than the other Texas transfer commits, if you will, because he did uh, have an official visit to USC in 2018. USC was a guy, was a school looking at him, so this was a little interesting. Uh, harken back to a school that he was looking back in his original recruiting process. Yeah, and he wasn't an East Texas kid. You know, he's a kid from Arizona, so USC was in the mix with him coming out of high school. They were one of the finalists for him. So when he went in, it wasn't like, oh, here we go again. It's the, the Texas pipeline. It was a little bit different in, in that regard that he's a kid from Arizona, from the Phoenix area, um, and USC had been in the mix for him coming out of high school. So you know, a guy that's produced some produced some good stats at Texas while he was there. So you know, Steve Sark comes in at Texas, and maybe Jake Smith doesn't see himself fitting in with the new offense, and goes back to his high school days and looks at you know some of the finalists he had and took an official visit to USC last week and apparently liked what he liked what he saw and committed to USC. And so USC adds another wide receiver to the roster. Interesting to me, though, another small wide receiver. Every wide receiver they brought in this offseason has been a smaller guy outside of Kyron Ware Hudson, and he's not that big. 
Joseph Manjack, who they signed in December, you know he's a he's a bigger guy. But all the guys since then have been smaller guys. All the uh, transfers that they brought in. So it's interesting. Is this a change in what they're looking for at the wide receiver position? Because we just watched one really good big wide receiver in T Mac Tetrola uh, McMillan from Servite, and he is a beast. But is USC really interested in that type of wide receiver right now? You know, they do have some bigger bodies on the outside already, so maybe it's, you know, you already have some guys that are big, so you're looking at a different type of body. But when you see consistently over and over that you're going out in the transfer portal and getting these smaller wide receivers, makes you wonder if there's a change change of philosophy in the wide receiver recruiting. What's interesting about that, though, is I feel like the taller guys so far in Graham Harrell's offense has had have had more success. Like Michael Pittman, Drake London, 6'5". Like those are the guys who Keen would just like kind of chuck the ball up there and they would just get up and get the ball. Whereas I feel like the, the shorter, shiftier guys haven't been as clearly successful as the Pittmans or the Londons. Yeah, Amon Ross St. Brown is the smaller receiver that has succeeded in this offense. And he is not the same type of receiver that you think of when you think, Oh, he's a slot receiver that's a shifty guy. He's just so precise with his routes and he's a big he's physical even though he's not that tall. It's not like Steven Mitchell or, you know, Dominic Davis, a guy that you put in the slot. Those type of guys, those haven't excelled in this offense. You haven't Valus Jones didn't do much for USC there. We haven't seen Gary Bryant get going really yet. So I'm curious to see with these older guys that are coming in that have some experience already in some different offenses, can they can they succeed in Graham Harrell's offense? You know, if that's what they're looking for, maybe it's some experience. Okay, we know this guy can fit in the college offense. How does he fit in the USC's offense? Those are the questions that I'm going to have. You have Jake Smith, you got Taj Washington, Katie Nixon, all smaller guys that have had success at the college level, though. All three of those guys, I think, just bring a different dimension for the offense, just because I think now the offense, the wide receiver unit is a lot faster mm-hmm. than it was a year ago. I mean, you know, KD didn't really show that explosiveness all through spring camp i mean he didn't really do much in the spring game but there's still a chance for him to do stuff this fall but jake smith an explosive player out of high school taj washington we know what he can do so i think there's no excuses now to have gary bryan obviously you're throwing him in there i think there's no excuses now to have more uh diversity when you have those smaller slot guys maybe blow some some plays over the top i know we've been waiting for that for a long time yeah, but let's see it now. Yeah, it, it, Are we going to see the offense change some? Are we going to see that slot receiver try to push the safeties back? Even if they're a decoy. Talked about it various times with Valus Jones or Garrett Bryant. You know, put that guy in the slot. He pushes the safeties back. Now you run that, you know, the deep end or the crossing route over the middle to Michael Pittman or Drake London or, you know, Kyle Ford, Brew McCoy. Then those guys have more space in the middle because the safeties haven't been pushed back. And we just haven't seen that from this offense. So I'm curious. And I like the fact that you are a little bit more diverse and you're adding some speed and doing, you know, something different. But when every single guy that you're bringing in recently is that way, does that mean it's a change in philosophy? Or is it just, hey, we saw some holes in this group and we're trying to fill them with a different type of guy? That That's kind of the, the curious thing that I'm looking at here. And I think that maybe we'll find out a little bit more where they go with the, the high school recruiting in this class at the wide receiver position. I'm really curious, too, because I, I don't know if I mentioned this on this podcast specifically, but I know I mentioned it with Ryan. But I felt like coming out of spring camp, the wide receiver group just felt like there was something missing. Like It just felt like it was Drake London and then everybody else. And like there wasn't enough chemistry or something. And I know that like Brew McCoy was in and out health-wise for most of spring camp and then Gary Bryan as well. So maybe that is something that changes once those guys are healthy, but I just felt like 
it just USC's wide receiver group didn't feel as deep with talent as it normally does, or at least ready to go talent chemistry with Keen Slovis. And I don't know if that's something that the that USC's coaches have also felt, considering that they've now gone out and gotten Taj Washington and now they're getting Jake Smith. Like, I don't know if that's something that they feel like, hey, we need a little bit more uh, experience or older guys in the room because I just felt like you could tell there's a little bit of a drop off after Drake London when you're missing guys like Bruva Coy and Gary Bryant. Yeah, there was definitely some inconsistencies this spring, and I think a lot of that does play in the fact that guys were in and out of the lineup. You know, Kyle Ford's still working his way back from his second ACL tear. Um, you know, you got Joshua Jackson over on the uh, defensive side playing. So any of the guys with experience, you know, the, just they weren't in there consistently. Drake London, you know, showed out. And then after that, it was like, okay, is Brew going to be back? Is Gary Bryant you know, available? Uh, you know, where do those guys fit in? So I think that it definitely does play into it. And I think experience, and that, it's always good to add talented experience because that just raises the competition level in the group. You know, if you're Kyle Ford, you're working even harder now knowing, okay, I've got to prove myself to, to take over one of these spots with these guys that are coming in because they can play inside or outside. So I, I think it is, you know, adding depth is never, adding talent to depth is never a bad thing. And I think it just raises the competition level and that's what you want to see. But I'm also curious, does this mean we finally see rotation? Well, we actually have a question about that that I'm going to bump up. It's from Nick who says, now that the wide receiver room is packed, how do you think that changes the offensive scheme? I remember Graham Harrell saying he wants 10-plus dudes to work with. Do you think he starts to rotate more wide receivers during the season? I would love to see it. You know, wide receiver is a position you run more than any other position. Because even if it's a run play and it's an RPO run play, you're taking off, you're sprinting down the field as an outside receiver to try to carry the corner with you. So... There's no reason why those guys should play every single snap of a game. Just rotate them in, you know, get get four or five snaps. Now understand when things are going really well with an offense, you want to keep the same defense on the field. You don't you don't want to huddle, you want to, you know, push the tempo, do that. But how often does USC do that? We haven't seen that in the past where they consistently do that. You know, if you throw an incompletion, that's a time where you go, okay, yeah, it's second and ten now. Let's you know, let's you know, rotate the the wide receivers and do it. And it doesn't have to be a rotation where you put in all the guys that you know you're not going to throw the ball to because that was the case at times. It's like, oh, you're, you're putting in uh, John Jackson. They're not going to throw the ball right now because they don't trust him. You know, you're putting in all the backups and you're, you're just going to run the ball. Rotate guys in at each position rather than just a full line change, and then it keeps the defense guessing. Oh, is it going to be run? Is it going to be passed? You know, and you get guys more involved in the game. Those guys can also the experience is going to help them develop. You know, just there's so many reasons and so many positives to rotating. For me, I, I think that the now are you going to lose one play where you throw the ball and you want to throw the ball to Michael Pittman and he's not out there. Maybe you may lose one or two plays a game there, but you're you have enough talent at that position that you should be able to look elsewhere and say, okay, Pittman's not on the field today, but Amon Ross St. Brown is, but Tyler Vaughn's is. Now when you got Brew McCoy, Kyle Ford, you say, okay, let's give Kyle Ford his opportunity. Brew McCoy's out for a couple snaps, you know, catching his breath. And then when he comes back in, he's going full speed rather than at 85%, 90%. Now you're running by those cornerbacks, and you're forcing them to run that many more extra, uh, extra plays, running that much further in a game. Whereas the wide receivers, you can rotate more. You're not going to rotate your cornerbacks a ton in a game. Shotty went in. He did. He was ready. Shotty went in. He's out of breath. <laughs> he's sweating right now. It's sort of like the... I'm wearing a sweater. But. Yeah. It's sort of like what you just said a couple minutes ago about the using the slot receivers 
blowing the top off. I'll believe it when I see it. Mm-hmm. I'm not like super confident that there will be rotation this year with a position. I mean, I'm hopeful. I would like to see more of that. Some interesting combinations they could throw out there. But, you know, and imagine how much it would help with wide receiver recruiting, too, when you can say you're playing multiple guys. If like a man jack can catch three touchdowns this freshman year, or Michael Jackson can come in and you know help year one. I mean, obviously it's not they have to be ready to do that, but it's also an excellent selling point for the wide receiver recruiting, which is you know not as strong as it should be at USC. That's what I was going to ask. Can we get an update? Like, what is happening with USC's wide receiver recruiting right now? Well, out of the portal, it's hot, hot, hot. But out of high school, it's a little not, not, not. (laughs) It almost feels like USC can't get the top-end guys out of high school, so they've given up on it and gone to the portal. Because what top-end guys are they getting? Kevin Green is coming in. That's the commit they have in this class. And Kevin Green is a solid pickup. Good pickup. You know, another slot receiver type of guy from Bishop Alamany. Solid pickup there. But is it the five-star guy? You know, since they brought in Brew McCoy and Kyle Ford, USC hasn't brought that five-star guy in. They've lost out on the top wide receivers in California, on the West Coast. The Emeka Ibuka that's in Washington, that's going now to Ohio State. Ohio State's coming into the West and taking the top wide receivers that they want instead of USC saying, don't even, don't even think about coming over here because the wide receivers, we know the five-star wide receivers are going to USC. That had been the case for a little while from the Marquise Lee, the Robert Woods, you know, on and on, the Michael Pittmans, the Amon Ross St. Browns. If you're an out-of-area out power, normally you think, okay, I can cherry-pick one or two. You're like, there's not even a chance at wide receiver. Let's go look for the offensive lineman. USC's struggling there. But we're not going to get the wide receivers where that doesn't feel like it's the case anymore. USC is struggling to recruit the top-end high school wide receivers. So it feels like they've said, what can we do instead? And instead of upping their game as far as the high school recruiting, they said, let's make an adjustment. Let's go find some experienced wide receivers that have already played in the college system, that have already been in a, you know, a college weight room program, uh, strength and conditioning for a couple of years now. And they p- picked up some talented players I think Taj Washington I'm very you're very interested to see him I'm very intrigued by him you know watching a little bit of the tape and you know being able to see I'm curious to see what he can do in this offense I thought Katie Nixon would already be making more of an impact so that one's kind of a curious one so looking to see what he can do in the fall same thing with with Jake Smith now coming in I think that those guys can produce for USC and create a different element but it's also a little bit concerning that you're struggling so much with the, uh, the wide receiver position, especially when there's always one or two really, really talented guys in Southern California, and it doesn't feel like USC is the lead school for any of those, those guys right now. I know we've talked about a lot in the past where it felt like USC was kind of sitting back a little bit and pointing at the logo. It almost feels like that's happened with wide receiver recruiting because, like you mentioned, it's, it was such a given – for so many years, oh, if you're a top wide receiver, you go to USC. And that was even an offense that didn't throw the ball 50 times. But you were going to be showcased. You were going to improve. T. Martin did a great job of improving wide receivers. He was a great wide receiver coach. You know, from his days starting at Kentucky with Randall Cobb and you know coming to USC and helping those guys develop, he saw the game in a different way as a quarterback, and it really helped him teach those wide receivers really well. And 
it just doesn't feel like that USC has been able to bring in that same type of talent right now. Even though you're throwing the ball a ton of times, you should be really excited. Like, yeah, I want to play in this offense. I want the ball being thrown to me. Every wide receiver has a little bit of an ego, has that diva in them that they want the ball thrown to them. So they want to go play in an offense that's going to throw the ball a bunch instead of a wing T offense where you're throwing the ball once or twice a game. So why is USC struggling to recruit? That's a big question, and it feels like they're just not being able to put the same effort in that they're doing at some of the other positions, and you go – can they get Dante to come over? You know, he works with the wide receivers every day kind of, right? So why is he not, you know, throw him in there and help him recruit some of these Well, guys? technically, he's the main recruiter for Kevin Green. So, yeah. <laughs> to your point, he's like, I'm doing it. <laughs> so, Jake Smith was the addition USC gained out of the transfer portal. USC also gained a high school prospect on Tuesday, Keith Olsen a three-star offensive lineman out of Washington. It's interesting. All the crystal balls pointed to Oregon State. The confidence level was high, and yet he commits to USC. 6'6", 285. Everyone asks, where where are the tackle bodies? Hey, guys, this is a tackle body. Yes, I will say he is rated a three-star offensive lineman. There's nothing wrong with that. USC still needs to pull in some high-end blue-chip offensive linemen, which they have struggled to do. But I will say, Keith Olsen, I think, is a really nice pickup for them. He has a great frame, six foot six, like you said, 285. He's a four-sport athlete in high school, which you don't you don't hear a lot about. He's, he's especially athlete, for a lineman. Especially for a lineman. You know, track and field, baseball, and basketball. So he's got some footwork. He's got some athleticism. That's what you'd love to see in your offensive lineman. He's a good kid. The question mark is he's coming from, you know, a small division in Washington, how he's going to make that jump. And like you said, Oregon State was the overwhelming favorite because his dad played for Oregon State. Much closer up there in Washington, so it seemed like a no-brainer, but you know, USC, he got they got him on they got him on campus for a midweek official visit, snuck him in there, and they really turned it around. That was one of my big questions when I talked to him. I talked to him right after the visit is, you know, how do you feel like you fit in Los Angeles, you know, this big city coming from, you know, a smaller uh, environment out there in Washington, Napaville, Washington. And it was like, I was actually surprised by how much I liked it. Um, when I was talking to him, I didn't get the vibe that, you know, USC was the place to be, but I was a little bit surprised by what he was saying and how, you know, I actually did like it. I, I didn't think I was going to like it. And, and I guess that was enough for him to, you know, want to be a Trojan took the trip with his mom and his grandma. His dad was unable to make the trip, which I didn't see as a great sign to start. Uh, but he was a pilot. He is a pilot, and he had to do fly planes. You know, he had to get people pilot where they needed things. to be. Pilot. And, uh, yeah. So they pull, they go in the Washington, pull him out. Still work to be done uh, in the offensive line recruiting, but I think it's a nice, solid foundational pickup. First one for Clay McGuire. Yeah. I think it's a good pickup. What's interesting is I now want to meet his father. You know, not only is he a pilot, but he, like you said, he played for Oregon State, but he also played baseball at Oregon State as well. Dual sport, you know, college athlete. So those are the type of things you're looking for when you're looking for players. You're like, oh, that's pedigree right there. You know, not only does you know is he competitive and he knows the position, you know, because his dad played at Oregon State, but he's a dual sport athlete. So you see that there's you know there's going to be the competitive fire there. You have the athleticism. 
like you talked about him being a four sport athlete in high school so baseball basketball football track and field does it all for his high school and when you're at a smaller high school you can also do that a little bit more but it'll be interesting to see you know if USC sticks on him throughout the process if they can continue to upgrade the offensive line position you know this is the type of guy that you don't want to be the headliner of your offensive line group but this is the type of guy where if you get four offensive linemen you want a guy like this where you say yeah, maybe rated a little bit lower, but we like the athleticism. We like the you know the competitiveness there, being a multi-sport athlete, and we think that he could grow into being a really good player. But you don't want your entire class to be that, and that's the been the problem with USC's recruiting of the offensive line position in the recent years is that it's been a lot of guys that you say we think he can grow into something really well instead of saying this guy's a plug and play. They need a couple plug and play guys, and they're still going to be working on that. But I think this, like you said, is a good pickup. It's just as long as it's not the only. It's not the headliner of the class. Yeah, yeah. a couple of years ago, this would be the headliner. Exactly. Which is the problem. But, you know, this is Clay McGuire's bread and butter. You know, a, a prospect you can develop, yeah. lower, lower rated, good, good measurables, all that. For all we know, Keith Olsen could be a two-time All-American. For all we know, it's all about development. So we'll see what happens there. I don't like when they poo-poo three-star offensive linemen because <laughs> offensive linemen are all about projections. Yeah. Get them in. Get them in your weight program. Get them in your straight program. See what they turn out to be. So, And another thing that can play into projection is that once you focus on one sport, which is what Keith Olsen will do at the next level, do you see him take off You know, and you see the development increase rapidly because you're focusing on one sport? That's a good point. Okay, we're going to switch gears a little bit quickly as far as news. Isaiah Mobley returns, announced his decision on Wednesday before the deadline. Shoddy, we talked about this last week. You said there were a lot of ways this could go. Did you expect it to go this way? I just want to say quickly, I want to thank the world's best <laughs> USC basketball beat writer coming in on his day off <laughs> to no, come talk about uh, no, no Isaiah Mobley and the USC basketball program. That's right. No days off, but technically... No, no days, days off. off. I know ESPN wanted you on early. I know you were supposed to do a <laughs> podcast with the Woj early, but we want to thank you for coming on to our little rinky-dink podcast. I mean, if Evan Mobley was coming back to USC, then maybe it would be that important for, for Woj to be concerned or something. But, but we're blessed to have you here. All blessed, blessed. You're, you're ridiculous. Blessed. Um, I, I think this actually is not really switching gears from Keith Olsen. I think this is very similar. Development. Oh development is huge here we've seen Isaiah Mobley you know his his career at USC started a little slow he was you know he had an injury coming in his freshman year so he got off to a slow start you know he he didn't break out this past year until the postseason and we saw what type of player he can be and I think that you know he continued that into the the scouting combine that they have the NBA draft combine in Chicago you know he entered his name into the draft went through the process was able to you know hear what the you know, the organizations, what they're looking for, what they want to see from him, what they want to see him develop, got that information, got great experience going to, you know, playing in the scrimmages. He measured in at six foot eight without shoes and then with a seven foot three wingspan. That is the type of wingspan that teams will definitely covet, you know, especially if he can continue to guard on the perimeter, similar to what Evan can do as well, where they can guard bigs or, you know, or the small guys on the wing. So I think there's a lot of positives for his game, which made it go maybe he decides to leave now you know how how will this play out you know I was I talked with a couple sources and everyone felt like yeah he's still gonna come back we think but 
there was a little bit more uneasiness. It felt like every day I talked to someone as the deadline got closer and closer. It was like, we think he's coming back. We think he's coming. And then, you know, it gets to, you know, a couple hours before the deadline to withdraw his name. He announces he is coming back. I think this is huge for USC basketball. I think this puts them in the upper echelon of the Pac-12 once again next year because he is going to be the offensive and defensive focus for this team. He's going to be the center of attention. They can run the offense through him as a point forward if they want. They can run the ball, the offense through him on the wing, on the block. He's so versatile. He does so many different things. And if he continues to develop at – particularly if he continues to develop at the rate that he's done since the postseason started, you know, starting with the Pac-12 tournament. He had five of the six games they played in the in the postseason. He had double figures. He only had, I think it was six of 26 before that this past season. He raised his scoring average by almost five points in the postseason. He was a dynamic threat. He hit more threes in the postseason in six games than he did during the, the first 26 games that he played in this season. So I think that's a big portion of his development. Can he continue to shoot the ball well? He did that at the scouting combine. So you say, hey, he didn't just, you know, wasn't just feeling it for, you know, three weeks in the, you know, Pac 12 and NCAA tournament. So I think that that's a big step in his development. If he continues to shoot the ball outside, he becomes that more difficult to defend and it opens up the offense that much more for USC. With the additions that they've made this offseason, with Boogie Ellis coming and with Chavez Goodwin and Isaiah White staying, those are big, important, you know, filler pieces for them that do all the small things and getting Isaiah Moby back I think this is a team that can contend for the Pac-12 title I don't think they're the favorite but I think they'll be in the upper tier and you know if everyone stays healthy this should be a team that makes a potentially another run in the NCAA tournament you know whether it be Sweet 16 Elite 8 that'll be depending on how some of those other pieces develop the Max Agbont Polos Ethan Anderson Drew Peterson can those guys take their game to another level if that is the case USC could be and you know a sneaky good team that could maybe even make a final four run next year depending on that development that's it's really early to say that because those guys definitely have to develop you're bringing in Malik Thomas you're bringing in Reese Dixon Waters has been on the roster but you know you're adding him into the mix this year Uh, so I think those are, are pieces that can you know fill in and give you some minutes as well so I'm really excited about what this team could look like next year they should be fun to watch and again you know if they play the way they did on defense this year it's going to be more difficult without Evan Mobley, but Isaiah Mobley coming back, he you know does a lot of different things. If he can stay out of foul trouble a little bit more than he did this year, could be another really fun season for USC, and the fans would actually get to watch this year. True. That's a good point. You kind of alluded to this already, but his first two years at USC, he's played alongside a star, Nikon Kongu, and then obviously Evan Mobley. What does it mean now for him that he will be kind of the centerpiece guy? I think that's what's really big in his development. And I think that's a big piece of why he probably came back is that, okay, I've played second fiddle as the post player beside my brother, beside Anyeka Kongwu. Now here's my opportunity to showcase my entire game. And like I said, the offense is going to run through him the way it ran through Evan last year. Evan catches the ball on the wing. Evan high low to his brother. All those different things that you could do with Evan. I think you can do the same thing with Isaiah. Now he doesn't have the same touch as his brother, Um, And he doesn't, you know, I think Evan's a better player ultimately. But I think Isaiah is definitely an NBA player. And I think coming back even helps his NBA chances a lot because he was likely a second-round pick, maybe a two-way guy as an undrafted free agent sign. Maybe he bumped into the end of the first round. I doubt it. 
But coming back, now he, I think he can bump himself up into the first round, which means guaranteed contract, which means teams are investing more in you, which means that you'll give you more opportunity to fail what, versus being a second-round pick where you get stuck on the end of the bench and you get sent down, whatever it may be. I think he has a better opportunity by coming back, showing that he can be the guy, and then he's already shown that he can be a complementary piece. So now with the versatility, he can showcase his full game. I think that, that NBA teams are going to fall in love with him even more. I think his stock is only going to rise. So I think it was a really smart move for him. And, you know, it definitely probably plays in that Big Brother is going to make a bunch of money in a few weeks in the NBA draft. So the family doesn't feel pressed that we need to go in. And that's going to be something that's going to be changed with the NIL, I think, as well to kind of transition us going forward maybe. But that the NIL, some of these players that decide to come back, the Johnny Juzang at UCLA, the Max Admus from Oral Roberts, guys that made these big, you know, were huge in the NCAA tournament, well, now they've got a chance to capitalize on that. They don't have to feel like i got to go – go be pro now I can come back and still make some money this year and then continue to develop my game rather than having to go overseas or having to do something else because there's so few slots in the NBA every year Mm -hmm. you know there's only 15 to 25 guys that actually break through into the NBA and take over roster spots for somebody else so you know it's very tough to break into the NBA because of the the smaller rosters and the talent that is there every year so I think the NIL is going to help some of these players that you know, show out in the NCAA tournament in particular, make a little bit of money and be able to, to stay in college. Well, you're handing me a, an easy transition into name, image, and likeness. I'm going to take it. It's been a week, guys, since uh, that came into effect on July 1st. I know we had a lot of questions last week about what to expect. What are we going to see? Now that we've seen a week of it, was it what you expected? Any differences, changes? Overall thoughts. I just want to get what you thought of this past week. Across the country, I was like, not stunned, but like, there was a lot of big deals being thrown out there. There was Kane's chicken fingers and $20,000 deals for Bubba Bolden. And there was whole teams getting sponsors, whole athletic programs getting sponsors. It was really cool to see all this stuff. But then USC, I was kind of like, I don't want to say underwhelmed, but I thought there would be more bigger deals maybe there's some on the horizon that haven't been announced yet but i thought there'd be more big deals for some usc athletes there's only been like a handful that we've seen so far um because you've done the nil tracker yeah i'm doing the i feel like chris is a little disappointed he's like i made this whole tracker and we're not getting any big deals coming through (laughs) do you want me to run down the ones go for it okay for just want to start off defensive end nick figueroa i think he he got me he had instagram posts about Tesla Motors, but it seems like it was a joke. <laughs> oh, no. So I have to take that off. But what got me is it says paid sponsorship at the top of the post. But if you read through the comments, he says he was just kind of just, he was capping. Oh. He's all capping. So for the older people, that means lying. He does not look like Nick Figueroa has a Tesla Motors deal, even though it looks legitimate. <laughs> uh, got you. Defensive back Britton Allen, he's got a. And I had NIL deal with a PSD underwear, so an underwear brand, which, okay, get that underwear money, big <laughs> underwear money. Drew Peterson of the basketball team, he is a barstool athlete, whatever that means. I have no idea what that means. Uh, Michael Trigg, the highly touted freshman, hasn't even played a down at USC. He's got a Scully Me 
He's on the Scally Me app promoting their app. Again, not really sure what it means. I think you can follow him on there and he can help you. I don't know. Um, also, Max Williams is also part of Scally Me. He posted a sponsored post about it. Wide receiver Kyle Ford has a uh, apparel deal with WLTH brand. Rocking sure. some of their clothes. Um, Ethan Anderson and Max Agbong Polo both on Cameo. If you want them to cameo, cameo you out, they can do that. And then long snapper Damon Johnson, an All-American specialist, I may add, Boom. is connected, has an NIL deal with Trojans Football Online, whatever that is. Which we never heard of. <laughs> Sorry. And then I did see that. I didn't put it in here. Because I couldn't, because because the post was scrubbed, but freshman defensive end Colin Mobley had a a NIL post or deal with Yoke a gaming service. I know a lot of athletes have posted about that. It was on his Instagram, but it's no longer in, is on his Instagram. I have no idea what that's about. Um, but that was on there. And then Liam Jimmins is also listed as a barstool athlete, but he has not posted about it, so I'm not officially putting that in there. But it's something to keep an eye out. Again, no idea what that freaking means. Uh, but those are all the deals so far. Uh, Ethan Anderson also um, similar to Britton Allen, same company, PSD Underwear. He had to deal with them and the with love. We love the hate the WLTH apparel company. He also has to deal with them. Okay. So Ethan okay. Anderson stacking them up. Yeah, you know, they're all small get, things. Get but, in the bag. Know, gotta stack them up. Get in the bag, baby. It, it's interesting. I think that USC is a little bit behind on this. You know, talking with a source that they, you know, they haven't fully put everything out for the players and you know, with their recruiting they've really pitched this and done it well but you know the current players they haven't gotten in front of it and part of it I think it is the there's a little bit of confusion for USC because the the NCA said if there's a state law then you follow the state law if there's not then you follow the school law but California is trying to push through a state law in September, so they're kind of in flux going, wait, do we wait until September to follow these rules? Do we follow the rules that are supposed to be coming out in September? Do we do something different now? So it's it's interesting that USC, like you said, we expected probably someone to pop out with a Keaton Slovis. You know, where's his Raising Canes or, you know. I was expecting Keaton Slovis in and out. Let's go. But would he be an In-N-Out or a Whataburger? Because they have Whataburger in Arizona. No, I was waiting for someone else. Keontae Ingram, Whataburger, Kean Slovis, The Imagine Wars. Imagine if Rojo was still at USC somehow. I feel like that there's going to be a Burger Wars here between In-N-Out and Whataburger. That'd be a deals, great promo. Yeah. Family Feud Marketing Services, please contact <laughs> us. Whataburger already was a fake corporate sponsor of this program. It's true. <laughs> um, you know... We've seen some of these deals come out. De'Eric King at Miami, you know, has done a couple of them. The entire Miami team getting sponsored, and it shows you that. To me, that shows that the big market organizations, schools, programs are going to be able to attract those type of deals. Because we wondered, you know, would it be better to be in a small town in a Nebraska athlete? We've seen the state of Nebraska runs it or whatever it is. There is a burger chain that basically said, we are going to sponsor every single student athlete in the state of Nebraska. I don't know if that's, hey, you get a coupon for a free burger, or if it's, hey, we'll give you 500 bucks. but that's a lot of sponsorship there for every single student athlete. Not just football, not just at the University of Nebraska, but every single student athlete in the state of Nebraska. That's a lot of athletes. 
Um, so we've seen some different things, and it's kind of played out in different ways. I'm surprised we haven't seen any bigger deals be announced for USC, like Chris said. But I'm also surprised we haven't seen any real big time deals be announced on the, you know, on the national level. You know, Kayvon Thibodeau came out with something with Nike, and you know, Phil Knight and one of the designers of Jordans, and. We haven't got fully got the details. There was one. Sounds like it's big though. W- there six was figures. one tweet that said it was six figures. Haven't seen the details on that, so that one's a little, com- you know, a little, little hesitant to to go buy in fully on that. Well, you said there haven't hasn't been big deals. There haven't been a, b- a bunch of big deals. I wouldn't be surprised I'm by like disagree with multi. You. I would expect several like hundred thousand dollar deals. I mean, they could have think, happened and think, not been disclosed yet. True. But I feel like I if, I, if I I'm spending hundred thousand dollars on you, I'm I want something out soon. I don't know. Might be developing something. Twenty K is a lot to a college student. To a college student, yeah. But we're talking about marketing. Marketing there's so much money in marketing. Just overall. Like I'm I'm surprised that there hasn't been more Don't don't talk to me about marketing. I run the fake corporate smoke. <laughs> don't talk to me about marketing. Don't don't use your your uh what's it called? He's market explaining to you. Yeah, don't market explain me. Don't market spoon. How dare you? My How bad, dare you? My bad. <laughs> yeah, I expected I expected even more than what we've seen. And hey, it's only the first week. There still can be a bunch of stuff. And maybe some of the companies are like, let's wait and see how this shakes out a little bit. I don't know if this is a hot take, but like I was almost mad at the NCAA. And like that makes sense because there's many reasons to be. But I just for all their spiel of, oh, we're protecting student-athletes, blah, 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 blah. You punted on this issue and just fed these student-athletes to the sharks where they now have to figure it out. I mean, I just feel like there's not a lot of guidance out there. And to me, I feel like if you if your true motive, which we know, is to like protect the student-athletes and, and be for them, you would have been ahead of this and i just feel like it felt so much like a free-for-all and i feel like there's going to be someone who gets caught up in a bad deal or makes themselves ineligible by accident it was to me the worry wart in me was like this just feels a little too free-for-all right now and there's not a lot of understanding if you will just to be clear you're saying your hot take is to be mad at the ncaa (laughs) okay maybe not that's not a hot take that's like that's a a hot take it's a hot take to say that it's a hot take to be mad at the NCAA. Okay, that's, that's fair. That's fair. I just was annoyed because it's like, it's just so backwards, you know? Welcome to NCAA. I know, I know, I know. And maybe why, you know, I said I was surprised we haven't seen any bigger deals or, or more big deals, but maybe why is the top athletes, the JT Daniels, have signed with marketing companies. And I think that is smart by someone like JT Daniels. There's a couple other that have just signed with agencies. Bryce Young. You know, very, very smart moves. You know, I think that's more important than going out and taking, you know, the underwear deal and the apparel deal. You know, if you're not the big-name athlete, take those. You know, get your money. But if you are a Heisman Trophy contender, a candidate going into the season, then you probably should be signing with someone that's going to help you, you know. And the hard part is for the players and the – you know their families is finding representation that is going to be ha- have your interests in in you know your best interest in mind. That's a, that's a problem for you know professional athletes all the time. Finding money managers to try to rip them off and all this stuff. 
Now you're asking an 18 to 22 year old to do it while they're trying to go through college and stuff. Uh, so it's going to be even more important for the families to, to step in and try to help out in those situations. And the programs, the college programs, the, the universities, and just the athletic departments, the individual teams, who helps out those kids the most will be a big selling point in recruiting, I think. If you can show, hey, we've have helped set these guys up, I think that is something, if players are smart, that's something they'll be looking for from universities with this new NIL uh, era that's upon us. I think my thoughts are summed up best by actually Jeff Martin, who tweeted on Thursday when everything was going down. He said, um, to all my college athletes, get your money, but beware of the sucker deal. A lot of these companies have been doing this for a long time, and most of y'all have been doing it for a few hours. So it's just one of those things where I think younger athletes could get wide-eyed at a certain dollar figure and not know what's best for them in the long run. And that's what's frustrating for me, just looking from the outside, is like you got to put more guardrails in place for people that you've told you can't do this, and then suddenly you can do it. Go for it, you know? Yeah, so the NCAA is not helping anybody out once again. Yeah, nothing new, I guess. Who's the first athlete that we see in a Super Bowl commercial while still in college? Ooh. That's a great question. Great question. So we'll see. Now do you aim to be more, like, are there two routes? Either I got to be really good or just go meme route. Like, I mean, you, you have to build a brand. And, you know, if you're Quinn Ewers and you have a mullet and you've got the, the frosted tip mullet that he's got going on, it's not a good look. But it's funny. And, you know, if you're Brian Bosworth and you stand out, you know, it's noticeable. You're an individual. You can be much more of an individual now and have a potential to to make money off of it. But it all comes back to if you're sitting on the bench, you're not getting much money. You might get some free apparel from a company, a small startup company or something that has some – you have some friends in the local area – but you ain't you ain't getting that Zaxby's money. You ain't getting that Raisin Cane's. You ain't getting that McDonald's money. Who gets the McDonald's money? That's where the big bucks are. You're just full of transitions today, Shotgun, and I thank you for it. You talked about that beautiful mullet. <laughs> we got to see it in person. Oh, it's immaculate. At Elite 11. It made him cry. <laughs> yeah, there was a moment we were, we were over there at night, and I noticed Shotgun on one of the benches, and he looked pretty sad. And I go over, and I go, Shotgun, are you okay? And he just got tears in us. Like, it's the most beautiful... <laughs> A flow I've ever seen. <laughs> and I was like, I'm over this. Wow, put some respect on Connor Murphy's name. Yeah. Or Maine. And it's got the zip every time he throws it. Like, It does have some flip on it because it's very, pretty thin. That's what happens when you bleach the, the tips. Or at least let them grow out. Anyway, like I said, we uh, got to see Lead 11. Uh, top quarterbacks around the country came to Los Angeles. The finals were in LA, which was fun. Manhattan Beach. Uh, we got to see Devin Brown. USC quarterback commit a guy who didn't have that big of a profile coming into elite 11 and now he's one of the top performers overall thoughts guys I mean start with Quinn Ewers being the number one guy coming in and Devin Brown outplayed him I mean that tells you the week that Devin Brown had now Quinn Ewers wasn't the top guy you know he's probably in the top five to eight range but Devin Brown had an amazing week he definitely raised his profile, like you said. I think that he came in. First off, it was the first time I've seen him in a couple years. I saw him when he was a sophomore, and he looks like a completely different dude. Now, Chris had a, had a photo of it that I believe was sent from Devin or his dad that shows his progression, and it's crazy to see what he's done in a few years, how much he has grown. He's hit a growth spurt. I talked to him a little bit. He told me 
you know, he's had some x-rays of his wrists and his ankles where your growth plates are and said he may still be growing too. He's gone from a guy that I saw in can he throw it over the line type of thing. He was really good on the move when I saw him at Queen Creek as a sophomore, but he was a shorter guy. Um, but now he's a solid 6'3". That's what he's uh, measured in at at the event, and 189 pounds, I think. He was 190 at USC, I believe it was, or 191. So right in that range. He's still got to add a little bit of weight to the body eventually by the time he would become a college quarterback. You know, Similar to what Keaton Slovis had to do his freshman year, I think that you know Devin Brown is going to follow that same progression. And that's the name that gets thrown around a lot because he was a three-star guy. But Devin Brown is making that ascension – before he gets to college, like Keaton Slovis did in his first year, uh, he's coming in and he's you know announced his presence with authority at the the Elite Eleven uh, event. I thought you know he threw a really crisp ball, and he was really good in all the drills throughout the week. So I was really impressed with him. I thought that he would be good on the run. That's what I saw at, at Queen Creek, and you know when he made a couple throws in the pro day event that they had, the pro day challenge. He threw a couple on the run. I go, oh, that reminds me of what I, I saw before. But being stationary, making all the throws, he looked like a dude. Definitely a national coming out party for mm-hmm. Mr. Devin Brown because uh, obviously not a lot of people got to see him last year. Not a lot of people got to see his uh, impressive growth spurt. Uh, it wasn't official. He made the Elite 11 because there's 20. Then they picked the the final Elite Eleven. He was one of the Elite Eleven. He finished number two overall for our twenty four seven final Elite Eleven ranking. So, props to him. Had a chance, you know, for for Elite Eleven MVP. Led his team all the way to the uh, the championship. Uh, that game did not go their way a little bit. Yeah, I was not. I did not like the format of that because you had a your a quarterback play the first game, but then they did not get to play at all because they would switch off. So Devin came in a little cold in that game because he only played the first game. Then they throw him in the first series of the uh, first couple series of the championship game. Did have an interception, had some drops. His team just came out flat for right. that championship game. It was weird. Yeah, T-Mac, who we talked about, you know, he made spectacular catches throughout the day. And then the final game, the championship, he had like three drops, which is super uncharacteristic of him. Um, so they just didn't play very well in the championship game. But they made it to the championship game. And that was a team that had quarterback commit USC, Devin Brown, cornerback commit, Damani Jackson, and then big wide receiver target and T-Mac there as well. So um, it was definitely a team that we were following throughout the day because of the USC connections there. I got some film of Damani Jackson and uh, T-Mac that will be going up this week. So, you know, it was, a, it was a fun experience to watch because this is the first time I got to experience the opening. It's not truly the opening finals, but, you know, having – a lot of the top kids in the country, you know, wasn't quite the same just because of the pandemic and some different circumstances that, that kind of limited, you know, being able to get all the top players in the country in the same place. But we did get to see all the top quarterbacks. And I was super impressed by Cabe Klubnik, who was the Elite 11 MVP. Elite 11 as an organization, they don't rank the 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 two through 11 guys. They just announce, hey, these were the Elite 11 guys, and they give an MVP. Klubnik, I definitely thought, was the best quarterback, and he deserved MVP. But you can make an argument, and it wouldn't be that difficult, that Devin Brown was number two. He was number two in our 24-7 sports rankings, and you could make the argument that he was the, the second-best guy. He was right up there in the mix in the top five with Drew Allers going to Penn State and Quinn Ewers is going to Ohio State and a couple of those other guys that were in that mix, the conversation for MVP. But he, he definitely showed out and was super impressive. 
And we got a chance to talk to him a little bit, you know, in between drills because some of those drills, you know, for them to run through all 20 quarterbacks take a long time. And he was a fun kid to talk to and, and kind of pick his brain a little bit. I know you guys talked to him a little bit more. Have something special maybe Just coming up? Just a tad. Up? Just a tad a little bit more. Yes. Uh, we got something in the works. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, okay. Uh, Chris is pro-hype. I'm anti-hype, so. I'm not anti-anti-hype, but I like setting the table a little bit. That's called hype, Chris. No, it's not. <laughs> it is. It's not hype if you deliver. Anyways, we all got to have some extra insights into Devin Brown. Talk to him a little bit more outside of the normal interview process after the camp or after each day, uh, which we talked to him then as well. But you've got to see all his throws. Keeley's put up a a bunch of the highlights of his throws throughout the week. So you guys can check that out as well on the site. Blair put up some highlights as well. So, you know, we were following him throughout the week to see exactly how he would do. And he definitely was impressive. I thought it was, you know, like Chris said, a coming out performance on the national stage. He's going to be in the mix. He's definitely going to get a bump up to at least a four star. And we'll see, you know, where he goes from there. Well, we actually got a question about that. It's from This Is Ricky's Fault. Oh, Ricky. What did Ricky do? Uh, He says, where do you see Devin Brown moving up to in the rankings following his great performance at the Elite 11? I would say consensus four-star. He's getting the four-star bump. Mm -hmm. And I think think it's just safe to say inside the top 247. Yeah, he'll be inside. I think that's an accurate um, judgment there. Where he goes as far as the quarterback rankings and where he goes as far as his overall ranking by the end of the rankings will depend on that fall season. Hey, what you do in a camp setting is great, and it's great to see. You know, when they put him through some different tests, and you know, I talked to Yogi Roth a little bit about Devin Brown. He was really impressed with what he was doing away from the field as well. How he was, you know, buying into everything. How he was doing the the breathing exercises. How he was able to settle himself down when he was going through some of the drills that they were putting them through. Uh, so that really stood out to me. You know, talking to, to people around Devin Brown as well. You know, kind of figuring out how he was performing and what they saw. And so where he goes, though, will depend on what he does when he goes to, to Utah in, in the fall and what he does with Corner Canyon, where he's now at, following behind Jackson Dart. Um, there, in between, in between Jackson Dart and Zach Wilson's little brother. Well, they're going to battle it out for a starting job this fall. There's no battle. What I just saw from Devin Brown, he's winning that job. Wow. Okay. There you go. Even though Blair told me that, that – uh, Little Little Wilson is is a legit dude as well. Little um, Wilson, I, I think that Devin Brown, from what I saw there, he's he's a complete quarterback, and I, I think that he'll be able to win that job because uh, Zach Wilson's little brother is a younger quarterback as well. He, I think he's a sophomore this year, maybe a, maybe a junior, but he's at least a year behind Devin Brown. So I think Devin Brown will win the job for his senior year, and then you know we'll see what progresses in an offense that throws the bottle ball a lot, which is why you saw Jackson Dart put up those ridiculous numbers. They're going to give Devin Brown that opportunity. So then we'll get to go, hmm, how do his numbers compare to Jackson Darts? And we'll see from there. One last thing. I just wanted to add that talking to Devin before Elite 11 started, his big goal was to prove that, prove himself against all these other top-rated guys. Most of these guys were have been rated higher for much longer. He had to have you know the old-school growth progression, the steady rise to – you know, into the national level, and he just wanted to prove himself against some of these these guys that have been ranked much higher for much longer. And, you know, he came in with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, a quiet confidence in his ability. And overall, he absolutely uh, 
did what he set out to do. He definitely proved himself against these other top-rated guys. Yep. And that's my final point. Alrighty, let's jump into questions. First one up is from Anthony in LA who said, who could be alongside Gary Bryant on kickoff return now that Stephen Carr is gone, making the safe assumption that Gary will be one of those people? That's a tough question just because I think there's a lot of options. I think Katie Nixon, we saw him work there a lot, but you have a lot of new names coming in. I mean, Keenan Kristen maybe. I mean, they haven't really used him heavily, but he's got that speed. Um, Taj Washington could be an option. I think even Jake Smith would make a really good kickoff returner. Um, so those are kind of my options. Even Darwin Barlow obviously has some speed. I don't know. I think it's going to be a, a wide receiver back there. I think Katie is the leader right now. Yeah, I think it's kind of up in the air. I think this one is you know, could be anyone. And the secondary kick returner doesn't really do much. So oftentimes it's not, escort. they don't often, you know, they don't often return a bunch, you know, because Stephen Carr was a secondary guy for you know, two years behind Velas Jones, and he had something like 15 returns or something. I'm just guessing off the top of my head. He didn't have that many. So I don't think it's as important as finding the number one guy and finding that number one punt returner. And then the question to me becomes, what is Sean Snyder looking for? Is he looking for a guy that can make people miss initially, or is he looking for a guy that just has speed that can run through a hole? If you think you can create that hole, then you know, you're just looking for Keenan Kristen. If you think you need somebody that has some shakes as well, that's when you're looking at the Gary Bryant type. We got a tweet from Matt. Shotgun, I'm going to need an assist on this one. He says, how many of USC's top O-line targets do you think USC will land? And he lists them off. Go for so it. So I got to take over? You were the official pronunciator oh, wow. of the pod. Uh, Josh Connerly, Ernest Green, Addison Nichols, Elijah Pritchett, Devin Campbell, and Nito Umazulu. Um, I think that you're looking at it and you're hoping to get two of those guys, right? I mean, that's that's the ideal is you get two potential tackles that become your bookend guys in the future. Nichols is a guy from Georgia, Connerly from Washington, Pritchett from Georgia, Campbell and, and Nito both from Texas. So you're basically going out of state outside of Ernest Green. I think it's huge for USC to be able to lock up Ernest Green because he may he may be a guard in, in at the college level, but you got to lock up that local guy that's a high end guy because there's been so few of them, and you're letting other guys go. You saw Kenji Swanson from Sierra Canyon commit to um, Stanford last week. You saw another offensive line Wooten commit to Oregon last week from Sierra Canyon. So the local guys. You've decided we're going to prioritize the outside. So I think the one guy that you prioritize locally, Ernest Green, you got to lock that one up. So the question you think, two? I mean, I think that that's what you need to that's land. That's not the at question, least. though. How many do you think? I, out think of they, that? I think they'll land two. If they land Ernest Green, they'll get one of the out of state guys. I think it's one. You Explain. Think I think they're in the best spot right now with Addison Nichols. They're recruiting him very, very hard. They've done a really good job. They got him on an official visit, did really well. They have help with Michael Williams, another Georgia guy who's recruiting Addison with them. You know, probably same deal with Elijah, who's also from Georgia, but I think Addison right now is the best shot um, of getting him in the class. So that's my answer, one. Again, I think it goes back to you need to lock up green. And then go out and get somebody else. Nichols, I mean, ideally you get Devin Campbell. That's the five-star guy. That's who you really want. That's not the question, though. I know, but I'm, I'm giving you the answer. I think they're also in a good spot with Dave. I, I don't want your answer. <laughs> Sounds like the Helium Boys. Leave uh... me alone. Talk, Another... talk to Anthony. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. It's, it's, it's Matt. Matt. <laughs> talk to Matt. 
sure is. They're also in the mix with Dave Iuli. They just made his top nine or so. Uh, so another guy that's from Washington. So again, I, I think you can want to lock up Ernest Green, get a tackle from Washington, Josh Connerly particularly, and then pick up one of the Georgia boys too. So I mean, if you can pick one from each state, I think you'll be doing all right. Sticking on the offensive line theme, we got a question from Chris who says, what's the outlook on this year's offensive line? Big year for Senator Brett Nealon? Question mark. I feel like Brett Nealon is the only one we can like for sure say will be in USC starting five this season. Before he's Nealon's the only guy whose position we know for sure. Yes, there it's we the go. Only, the only position we know that someone will start at is Nealon will start at center as long as he's healthy. The rest, big question marks. Andrew Voorhees should be in the mix. And then Cortland Ford should be in the mix, but you know Jonah Monheim could take over that spot potentially, fighting for a position. Jonah Monheim could could be, yeah. Those guys are all in the mix. So the outlook for this year's offensive line is they got to get the shit settled. That's the outlook. Get it settled, and then figure out if you can run the ball, or if you need to go past seventy, you know, seventy times a game because that's the only thing your offensive line can do. I think you've got to figure out who's going to be in those five starting spots and what they can do from there to, to be able to see what this offense can do for, for the entire season. How soon do you think we'll know the framework in fall camp? Or is that something that we're going to be looking for that USC tweet right before kickoff to see who the starting five is? I mean, what was, Clay Helton said that they're basically going to take it until the week before the game, right, before they'll you know, make a, an official determination. What does that actually mean, though? When will they finally settle on it? I think after the first two weeks of camp, unless they're mixing and matching like they did the last two weeks of spring camp, then I think we'll kind of have an idea. I think we should be able to see, you know, Andrew Voorhees. I think he'll be locked in at that left guard spot. And then can Liam Jimmins hold down the right guard spot? Or does Jalen McKenzie need to move inside? You know, where does Jonah Monheim fit? Do they bump him up to the, the first team? So those are the things. The development of Jonah Monheim and Cortland Ford may determine what happens with those three veteran guys. And that tells you that those three veteran guys haven't done a good enough job. Maybe they take a step forward, though, because you've got a new offensive line coach and maybe they, they see something in a different way, learn something in a different way. You know, I was expecting a big year out of Liam Jimmins last year. I thought he would take that jump. But the pandemic kept them from being able to have those camps and stuff. Maybe he's a guy that we see take that step forward that we thought we would see last year. A lot of question marks. Overall answer. Johnny Five sent us a question that said, will Isaiah Sategna and Kristen Miller commit to USC before the season begins? Isaiah is scheduled to make a commitment on the 11th, his birthday. So good odds on that one. And then, yes, I would assume Christian Miller makes a decision this summer before the season. So pretty good odds that both of those guys will have a commitment out there before the season. That's not the question, Chris. It says, that will they commit to USC? Oh, uh, you want to play the question game, huh? I am not moving off my Christian Miller USC crystal ball, and I will probably be making one for Isaiah later this week. So, Chris has answered it uh, in, in a very roundabout way, but it's a good chance USC is the leader for both of those guys. Sategna is a speedster at the wide receiver position. Kristen Miller, another defensive lineman from Georgia, would be two you know important gets for USC. One, the wide receiver. You know, to add more speed, just continue to add speed. Speed's something you can't teach, so to add speed is always a positive. And then to add more depth to that defensive line is huge, especially with the issues that they have right now at the defensive tackle spot. Let's go to a question from Ryan who says, love what you guys do. Thanks, Ryan. 
Maybe it's Ryan Abraham. Uh, I just have a quick question about the defensive line. There's tons of talent, but I'm just worried about the depth, especially at defensive tackle. Should USC fans be concerned about the overall depth at defensive tackle, and will they have to change the scheme a little bit? I think you definitely should be concerned about the depth of defensive tackle. Um, we don't know what they're going to get out of Sopcher. Obviously, he hasn't returned yet from the, the compartment leg syndrome surgery. And with Brandon Peely being out with the Achilles, Jay Toya leaving the program, big question marks there, especially when Jamar Sakona and Kobe Pepe, the guys you think would just fill in, were both injured as well during the spring at times. So, you know, big concerns with the defensive tackle, and those are that's a position that can get beat up because of all the wear and tear that you take in, in the middle of the defensive line. Do they have to make a move? Do they have to make a change? That's something I think would be determined based off Sopcher and where he fits in, uh, whether they can, you know, throw him in there or – you know, as we talked about, I think last week, do you have to make a move? Do you move Jacob Lichtenstein? Do you, you know, are you searching the the transfer portal for another big body? There, a lot, a lot of question marks definitely there with the defense tackle spot. USC has no idea what they're getting out of that position this year. So, I'm actually pretty high on Jamar Sakona being a guy this year. So, I have stock there. Hopefully, it rises. But yeah, you have no idea what you're getting out of that position. So. Could there be a little bit of a scheme change? Maybe more two guys inside instead of one. Maybe maybe you have to work with what you have, and you know move on from what you don't if they're not producing there. So I wouldn't be surprised if you saw them switch it up a little bit, but we'll see. And maybe they make a change to say instead of being playmakers at the defensive tackle spot, instead of trying to get into the backfield and make a play, we just need you to you know to occupy blocks. We need you to be able to be double teamed. So. You know, somehow find a way to, to grab onto offensive linemen and hold them so some other, other players can go make plays. We got a question from Keith who says, with SC promoting NIL so heavily, does it look like the no names on football jerseys tradition could go away? If not, any word on how they plan to accommodate offensive and defensive stars that share the same jersey n- numbers in a future IPM Tyler Vaughns or St. Brown or Steele situation? After the backlash that they've had when they try to change the uniforms under Steve Sarkeesian or try to change the face mask, I'd be hard-pressed to believe that that tradition is going to go away without a big fight from you know the traditional USC fans, and those are the guys that give more money to the program. So you know the, the donors, I think, will have a big say in that, that uh, argument. I don't think that it necessarily is something that is going to hurt players. It's not like they're getting kickbacks from jersey sales. You know, you know, if you want to use the image or likeness of a USC uniform, that's not coming through the players. So I don't think that it's something that, you know, that changes a, a big thing there. That's when you see the silhouette of a uniform and just the number. Um, so you can put a name on that silhouette if you really want to. I don't think it changes what you're doing as far as you know, the, the promotion for those individual players. Scotty and HB sent an email to the pod. He said, with USC offering free tuition for students whose families' income is less than $80,000, kudos to the administration for making higher education more accessible, has this started to help in football recruiting? Or maybe to other sports where walk-ons can make an impact, like in baseball, uh, where there's a limit to scholarships. Great job on the podcast. Fight on Scotty and HB. That's an interesting question. I really really didn't think about it like that. I mean, I think I don't think it would affect like football scholarship-wise as a whole, I think it would help with maybe like the preferred walk-on stuff, stuff like that. I think you'll see an increase in talent maybe with preferred walk-ons and stuff like that. I don't think it affects football as a whole like that. But I think baseball, I know Shotgun's talked about this 
with the scholarship limits they have. I think that's where it would make more of an impact. Yeah, definitely it could help in baseball. And there's also another change in the NCAA that says you can basically stack academic and athletic scholarship together for partial scholarship sports like baseball. So that's going to be huge for USC as well just because of the, the cost of tuition. But I think like Chris said, I think where you see that impact for football is in your walk-ons, your preferred walk-ons. And maybe you start getting some of those guys that – go to Arizona or somewhere and get that scholarship. Well, if they can come for free at USC and they think that they can earn, you know, that, you know, as a preferred walk-on, they think they can earn that scholarship, that football scholarship. I think that's something that they will potentially do. And that just increases your depth at certain positions, but also increases your ability to have, you know, special teams, you know, to have extra bodies that are capable to, to be able to come in there and, and make an impact. And you don't feel like there's a big drop off just because you put a walk in in there. We got a question from Judy who says, since the defense seems to be recruiting well and the defensive coaches bring high standards and energy, what should we expect of the offense? They seem to be more laid back. Graham Harrell, she put that in, not me being shady, and less imaginative and flexible. We have our playbook and that's all we do. We don't go under center. We don't run much, dot, dot, dot. Every summer, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I'm more wary than normal about the offense this year. Judy, coming with the, coming for the jugular. Oh, in a subtle way. I don't really know what to expect from the offense. We've talked about this. What we saw in the spring, with you know maybe the the fingerprints of Clay McGuire, a little under center stuff, whatever, short yarded stuff, some new wrinkles. We'll possibly see this fall. That's probably like the only. I guess, real expectation of a change, a big change that fans should have. And we'll, we'll have to wait until we see that in the uh, in the fall. But I think cautiously optimistic about certain changes with short-yarded stuff. I would agree with Chris there. I think that you're seeing, I think, the respect that Graham Harrell has for Clay McGuire to you know take on some differences, you know, some different looks, some different plays maybe that, that they could run in that short yardage situations. Now, will we see them actually fall through with some other things that they've talked about? The rotation of the wide receivers, you know, the rotation of the offensive linemen during the spring camp. Now, we'll wait till after the spring game before we do that. Now, like some of those things that they've said that they're going to do, will we finally see them start following through? We saw a little bit of that, like Chris talked about, in the short yardage situation. Will they continue that? Cautiously optimistic is is maybe even a little high for me. I feel like that it's probably around the same outside of the short yard situation. But if you clean up the short yard situation, that will uh, you know, elevate the offense uh, in a big way. So I, I think that keeps drives alive, that, that keeps you, you know, you score more points in the red zone, it's all a those type of situation. things. Yeah, exactly. We got a question from Cam who says, besides Coliseum, what is your favorite Pac twelve stadium? And are there any stadiums in the pack that you guys have not been to yet? Keely, you're done? Yeah, I made it to all 12. Which was the last one? UW, because UW was the only away game I missed in the last, like, five years because I had to go to a wedding. So I had to, like, circle back and wait for that one. So I would have gotten it earlier. I have not made the Pacific Northwest trips recently. Um, I have been to all the campuses for baseball or other reasons except for Washington State. Um and Utah, I've been to where their baseball team plays, which is not on campus. So I haven't actually been to their campus either. So 
Um, I, I think that, that Colorado's probably the most fun, even though I didn't get to see Ralphie run. So sad. That opportunity, seeing the snow piled up on the, the, you know, the end zone. The snow. Uh, I think is, is unique. Um, I, I would love to go to Salt Lake City and Rice-Eccles and see that place when it's bumping. Um, I haven't got an opportunity to do that yet. So uh, I think that's the one that I'm most interested in seeing and Autzen as well when it's going because I've You're heard... You're just listing stadiums at this point. <laughs> no, I said two that I haven't been to that I wouldn't you want to three. go to. You said you're now on four. I said the one <laughs> that, I, that I've been to that is my favorite is Colorado. Colorado. And then I said I would like to go to Salt Lake City. Chris? He's answering the second part of the stadium. I really enjoyed Washington Stadium. It's a whole vibe out there. It really is. That's so. That's my answer. And Utah, those are my two. I like Utah's campus, and I like where it sits in the mountain range, and it's really pretty at night. And Washington, yeah. So those are my two. I've not been to Oregon State. I really want to go to Oregon State. I don't know why. I mean, the one we haven't mentioned is the granddaddy of them all, which the Rose Bowl is super spectacular for a Rose Bowl game. It hasn't quite been that way for a USC-UCLA game in recent years. Uh, just not full capacity, not that animosity that you want to see. Uh, but the Rose Bowl you know, venue on New Year's Day is so immaculate. Um, so that, that day stands out. I don't know if it's still the favorite stadium. It's, it just doesn't have the amenities that some of the other places have as well. It'll always have a special place in my heart. That's where I fell in love with college football. Just got to say it. Um, and the Bruins. But I think I would say U-Dub, it's easily accessible. But you get like the mix of football stadium trees, but on the other side of it, it's just water and boats, and it just looks so lavish. It's a great mix of things. They have an in-and-out boat. Oh, yeah. So. Raft, raft in the middle of the lake or whatever. You incredible. Can go up and get in and out. Just incredible. And then I have a soft spot for Utah. It's the Pac-12 state opponent stadium I've been to the most. And Colorado's just cool because snow and when you can see a buffalo running around you. Alrighty, Chris, it's time to pass the torch to you. It's time for some take it or leave it. Time for some take it or leave it. Guys, we're back. It's summer. We noted that it's summer. It is. Guys, what's your favorite summer treat, Keely? Maybe ice cream. Chris wanted me to say ice cream, but the answer is ice cream. Ice cream. It is ice cream. Who doesn't enjoy a nice little scoop of ice cream in the summer? So that's exactly why we're proud to partner with Talenti to bring you the 2021 Peristyle flavors for this summer. We've got some flavors coming out. What's Talenti? It's gelato. Oh. Yeah, gelato. Okay. Creamy, delicious, fun flavors. We have fourth and strawberry shortcake. <laughs> Are we a blue blood blueberry crunch? Ooh. Bones butterscotch. Bones? Bones. Oh, bones. Mike Bone. Uh, Gaucho's green tea. <laughs> Gaucho's email list green tea. Air raid rum raisin. Okay. Helton's hazelnut. Hmm. Uh, Sazna snickerdoodle. <laughs> And can he play tackle Taro? (laughs) (laughs) Terry (laughs) Masoud. So take the lids off our containers and leave your diet behind. Talenti. (laughs) Briars.
<laughs> you don't get two bleeps. Yeah, you don't get two bleeps. Well, you can choose which one is bleeped. But seriously, this, I want to take this moment to say absolutely f*** Briars. If you like Briars ice cream, you're like a trash human being. <laughs> Why? It's basically just freezer. It's freezer burn. <laughs> it's just straight freezer burn with like vanilla or whatever flavor it is. <laughs> what if you eat it immediately? No, it's it comes out of the machine oh, at the gotcha. facility freezer burn. <laughs> it's just no. It's just ice with vanilla or whatever. Do they give you extra money to to? No, this is just straight me off the top. Okay. Uh, we did have a take it or leave it sent to us by Johnny Five, so I'm going to start with that one because it is a corporate one. Okay. Uh, will you will USC beat Notre Dame on the road? Leave it. Take it. Oh. Ooh. It's it's one of my things like Utah, going to Utah versus Utah at home. Same with Notre Dame. I'll believe it when I see it. I'm leave gonna, it. I don't think Notre Dame is going to be that great this year. It doesn't matter. You go in there, you hear the little songs, you hear the little punching in there, and it's over. <laughs> Visual bit. She was just. Scrapping. She's scrapping. scrapping with herself. That's what they do. You don't pay attention to anything in the crowd shotgun, so you wouldn't know. But Damn. That's true. I don't pay attention to the and crowd. We've had this conversation <laughs> at Notre Dame before. It's too cold to pay attention to the That's crowd. That's very fair, actually. So we got to leave in a take. Okay, good start. Transfer Darwin Barlow will finish with more yards than Vavae Malapai. Leave, leave it. it. Oh, that was like simultaneous. You're leaving it. Yeah. Both of you. Any particular reason? The coaches just really love Vavai, and until I see Darwin practice, I can't go against that. I would agree with her assessment, and just that he's a younger guy, so he'll have more time later. They'll give the senior. Okay. All hope is lost. There will be no transfer offensive lineman coming. Take it. I am actually going to take that. It's hard. We've talked about it before. This would almost be a teavit for Keeley's sake. Um, oh, don't try to put this on me. For Keeley's sake. Um, because was there ever really hope? Yeah. For who? There were plans. There was hope. There fans, was hope. Fans were hoping. Oh, In spring, okay. there was hope. Hope springs hope. eternal. True. Jake Smith will lead all the transfer pass catchers in reception and yards. Take it. Leave it. Still going with Taj Washington. Oh. Oh, okay. Still am very intrigued to see him in action. And same thing with Jake Smith. I want to see them in action before I can really give yeah, an answer on that one. Yeah, it's hard. You're giving us pre-watching take it or leave it, but I'm going to take it. We have nothing to watch. USC would not have been a tournament team next year if Isaiah Mobley did not return. Ooh, that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting one there, Chris. Keely, go ahead. I'm, I'm thinking over here. <laughs> See, this is hard because I initially want to say leave it. Because if you lose a guy like Isaiah who you can build around, I would say leave it. But then Andy Enfield and Co. have been good at going in the transfer portal and being like, hey, we pluck you and you're going to work. So I... We pluck you. <laughs> so Let I'm, us pluck you. <laughs> I do. I'm going to leave it, actually. I tucked myself on the circle Y'all should did a roundabout. I did. I don't think you're answering it right. I'm taking that they would not have made the tournament without oh, him. Oh, that's what I want. You're taking it that they would not have yes, made the tournament? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Everyone's staring at me like there's another explanation. But no, no I, I think you're you fine. you go on a whole yeah. thing. We were racing ourselves. We've seen some of these deals across college football, but we will see a entire USC team get a full NIL deal. Leave it. Leave it. I think... 
and, and this is what's interesting to me is that I feel like there's so much tout. There, USC has been touting so much about how they're in the city and et cetera, et cetera. I think in some ways that works against them because if you're in a Nebraska, everyone cares about the football team. Whereas in LA, Clippers, Lakers, Rams, et cetera, et cetera. You're the only Dodgers. I don't recognize that team. <laughs> Otani's. Yes. Um, you have to fight a lot to get recognized. And I don't think a whole team is going to be worth that in marketing value. I mean, I, I think it's it's a little bit similar to what Keely's saying, but it's do they have the power donors that's going to do that? Miami got the full one because it's a Miami booster that wants to you know help Miami look better. I think it's a little bit different than Nebraska with that like Runza one that it was or whatever it was the burger place. But I, I think it comes down to a power booster and the state and the school allowing a booster to say, yeah, we're going to give money to every single person on the team. Good answers, y'all. Of course they are. Thanks, y'all. Devin Brown will be ranked in the top 150 in the new re-ranking. In the new re-ranking or just like? The updated ranking that will come at the end of done. this month. This, this, this next update. Yeah, I'll take it. I think he definitely impressed at Elite 11. The fact that you can hang around with guys like that and still come out notable from that, I think I'm going to take it. I'm going to leave it and say it's going to be right outside the top 150. 150 to 180. Okay. Finally, Reggie Bush will have his Heisman back by the end of 2022. Leave it. Take it. Oh. Why? I mean, 2022, that's a year and a half. A lot can change (laughs) in a year and a half. True, but I just think it's just a saga that will never end. One day. One day. And those are the corporate ticket believers. Do you guys have a favorite flavor that I, I dropped out there? The blueberry. Blue blood blueberry. Blue blood blueberry. Are we a blue blood blueberry? Blueberry crunch. Say that fast. Are we a blue blood blueberry? What's the crunch element in that? Of uh, the uh, strawberry crunch? No, no, no. The are we a blue blood blueberry crunch? Crunch, yeah. It's uh, like waffle. Like waffle cone. Oh, okay. I like that. I was thinking more of a crumble on top. It's literally called crunch, <laughs> not crumble. You obviously have ever never had a frozen crumble. Ever, never, never, no, because I'm gluten-free. Ever, never, never, ever, I'm going to give you up. Okay. Got some fun ones. Just got a couple. Wasn't a real deep one That's fine. Uh, for your boy. Uh, I'm only bringing this up because someone called me a five-year-old because I do this, but catch up on eggs. Leave it. I can. I'm actually. This is not worth it, but I'm actually going to teave it because I could take it or leave it. Um, the only time that you should have ketchup on eggs is if you're throwing them into your hash browns. Also, no one commented on your crunchy, salty water. Crunchy, salty water. It's okay. Some people are afraid of new ideas. <laughs> it's fine. Some people. Which reminds me, next time I'm going to make some. We're all going to try it. <laughs> not that okay. We're all going to take it. I don't eat celery to begin with, so. You need more celery. Actually, you don't. It has no nutritional value. It's just, like we said, salty, crunchy water. Exactly. It's the crunchy water and the salty. So we got to teave it and leave it. Uh, Bill Plaschke of the LA Times wrote that Shohei Otani is having the most impressive baseball season ever. The most impressive baseball season that's ever been recorded. We have two baseball fans here. I'm just a fake fan. You are. According to Keeley. You are. So are we taking this or leaving it? We have a baseball expert here, and then we have Shotgun. So hey. 
What are we? Are we? What are we doing with that? First of all, can I just say I love Shohei Otani? That's fine. Angels baseball is fun again. Thank you. That's all I gotta say. Is it though? It is. You the bar is very low for what is fun. It's amazing because I've had that Mike Trout guy is pretty fun to watch. He is. Right. Are you gonna answer the question or not? Oh, I was waiting for you. You're the baseball expert, apparently. I never claimed that. I just said, hey. The problem is that I don't know baseball history. Like, he said ever, and I can't pull out, like, random people in, back in the day. I'll just take it because I'm a Otani stan. Okay. I'm leaving it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Babe Ruth, obviously a different era. Obviously not a fully integrated league. But he was hitting home runs when no one was hitting home runs. He was outpacing the entire league outside of himself hitting home runs. So it was just something, that a feat that was unseen in the game at the time. And then I would also throw in Barry Bonds' 73 home run season because the number of walks that he had, he was basically getting one pitch a game, and every pitch that he got was a home run. So he was it was an impeccable season. But Otani is definitely up there in the mix, in the conversation, top ten. Top five, probably. But he's also got to finish the season and stay healthy. And Don't that's put been that. the issue for the Angels. So Do not put that juju on me, Ricky Bobby. So let's wait until we get to full season of Otani before How we start making him dare you. into the best seasons ever. The Kurt Warner movie. I was staring at... <laughs> oh, just, that's it. That's it. <laughs> There's a Kurt Warner coming. movie coming out. Are we in or are we out? Are we taking or leaving it? And will Keenan Slovis go to the premiere? Oh. So there was more to it. <laughs> no, that was it. No, that's all that's written down here. Kurt Warner movie. I watched the behind the scenes a little half trailer thing. The, the jersey numbers are so small, I don't understand. I just, I can't see Zachary Levi as Kurt Warner. Like, there's a picture of them standing together, and I was like, oh, actually, I can't see it. But, like... I just see like I just oh look Zachary look Levi in pads, <laughs> yeah. He, he looks very husky, a very husky Kurt Warner. That's what it looks like. But m- the tweet that I saw yesterday from Roger Sherm- sh- from Roger Sherman said, "I liked the trailer for Kurt Warner. The movie is just seventy five percent Kurt Warner saying, yeah, my story is really amazing. This is going to be a good movie <laughs> because my life has been really cool. Just was perfect for the trailer that was put out because <laughs> it's like half of Kurt Warner just talking about yeah." I was, I, I did right. this, and people really liked it. I did this. So I think it's going to be a movie. That's what like every broadcaster <laughs> said during his playing days when they would bring it up. Yep. Like, it's going to be a great movie someday, uh, Jim. It's going to be a great movie someday, Bob. I don't see Anna Paquin as his wife either. So so you're leaving it? it? Okay. So you're not going to see it? Does that mean you're not going to see it? Yeah, like eight years from now. Oh, okay, yeah, that's fair. Keely? Yes. Are you taking or leaving it? Oh, I'm leaving it. Okay. I, I figured you guys would leave it. And finally, this is the age of the reboot. There are so many rebooted things from the past. Gossip Girl's got a reboot. I don't get that. iCarly has a reboot, sort of. But it's like itself. Yes. Uh, Saved by the Bell has a reboot. I don't get that. Are we taking or leaving the reboots, the reboot era? I'm leaving it because I feel like it just always does not live up to what it's supposed to be. I actually got excited for Girl Meets World, and that was just awful. I will say I prefer when they change the storyline instead of just completely rebooting and starting over fresh. Um, 
but most of the reboots are like my childhood coming back a lot, so I'm okay with that. And it's not like it's something new. There's been reboots of movies and stuff throughout eras upon eras and eras. We're just seeing it more right now with TV shows because they're struggling to come up with original shows that will do well in this pandemic era when everyone is streaming instead. Rugrats. That's another one. Take it. Take oh. Rugrats. Okay. And that does it for Take It or Leave It. Thank you to Talenti and Briars once again. <laughs> Chris, you're over your... I'm sorry. Okay. And one. There it is. Uh, a couple weeks ago, there was a journalist who lost his fantasy football league, so he had to spend 24 hours in a Waffle House. Mm-hmm. Um, he could bring down that number by eating waffles. For every waffle equated to one hour off his time. So let's say you two have to do this. We're assuming they're gluten-free waffles, okay. or you're not gluten intolerant in this uh, wild scenario. scenario. Yeah. What is your strategy? How do you get through this? How many waffles could you do? What are you bringing? What's the strat, guys? Okay, first of all, th- I was following along with his tweets, and it felt like such a shotgun thing. Like, I don't know why. <laughs> I just felt Big like shotgun it was, energy? Yeah, it had a lot of shotgun BSE. energy. Yeah. Because this was in Mississippi, and I had just come from Mississippi? Is that no, why? No, that's not why. It just felt like something that you would get yourself into and throw up pancakes or waffles. So I know. I think shotgun has mentioned his Mississippi state trip. Like in four consecutive podcasts, <laughs> yeah. it's like a fascinating streak. He got he. It's secret it's a ad. Fascinating trip. You need to okay. disclose your ad money. My ad money. Yeah, the state of Mississippi's paying you to right. bring it up. Magnolia State. I think shotgun should go first because it's a shotgun energy thing. Because you just said you s- told us you want to join a league so you can do dumb punishments like that, and I was like, we can punish you dumbly like this for entertainment. So I think you should do it. No, because I would never lose. That's what I told you. I would never be in last in a fantasy league. Oh, my goodness. Right. I forgot the ego. Just give us a strat. Yeah. Just give us a strat. I would start off with two waffles. Wait, what time are you getting there? He got there oh, like four. Okay. Like, what's the full strat? Yeah, I think you go with an early morning arrival. What? Like eight? Like six. Oh, okay. Because you're going to at least eat six waffles during the day. So... Yeah, you get out by midnight. So it's just a full day at a Waffle House. You make friends with everyone, first thing. That's that's, that's the most important big thing. Big shotgun strat. Yeah. You, you, you got to make friends with the Waffle House employees because you don't want to be hated on all day. Arrive around 6 a.m. Okay. I'm going to start with two waffles and see how I feel. Maybe a third one comes along as part of the breakfast. Give it a few hours. Then you have another one. Give it a few hours. I think it, you know, you're like a two-hour break in between each one. And then, then you'll easily knock off six hours to six to 12 hours, depending on, you know, what type of stomach you have. So I think that I could get out of there about like eight o'clock. Wow. Are you bringing like a book or a laptop or? The thing is, part of the reason why you go to Waffle House is because there's going to be so much entertainment in itself. That's true. So that's part of the strategy could be to go at midnight just to see what happens in the the hours of the night just so it would be entertainment and you'd be entertained but i think it's to see more people coming and going i think i would go to six okay i approve that strat you got to bring money for the jukebox though that's important oh pro tip keely yes are you are you going with these are gluten-free waffles or are you gluten intolerant or tolerant see here's the thing he has a great strategy i can't not do that 
This is why I never should have went first, because you're never going to get an actual answer from her. Okay. No. Okay. I, I admire your strategy, but I'm not going to be hungry that early in the morning, so I think I have to go a little bit later, like a 10 a.m. start. And that way, I'll just probably eat throughout, like, till 5. Just, like, randomly keep munching. Just snack on them. You know what I mean? Just a constant stream of waffles. The water is key. Got to keep everything loose. Or you could just not eat the day before and go full, you know, Kobayashi, Joey Chestnut, and just dunk the uh, yeah. waffles into the water. Huh. Do, do 20 in four hours? <laughs> yeah. I'm going at midnight. I'm starving myself through the day. I'm taking a nap, and then I'm just going to town. I'm doing six waffles off the bat. After midnight. We're going to let it all hang out. Yeah. I'm hungry. <laughs> All this waffle talk. Very quickly, this is sort of an N1, but... N1, N1? And uh, two. N1 got fouled, argued about it. Yeah. He got teed up. Ooh. Give me another free throw. Uh, B squared, Bert wanted to know why I call hot dogs glizzies. Oh, right. So I felt like I had to take the time. For, for those who don't know, I refer to hot dogs as glizzies. I don't know this answer. I am AKA Glizzy McGuire. It's on my profile, my Twitter profile, but... Glizzy is a Washington, D.C. term, DMV term, for a gun. So that's what it started out as. Glizzy is a gun. And then it evolved into hot dogs because hot dog is like the same length, it, like a gun. <laughs> bang, okay. bang, bang. What did Glizzy get? So that's why Glizzy is referred to as a hot dog. I feel like you, you, the bridge between gun to hot dog was very short. That's it. That's all I got for you. Okay. That's why it's Glizzy. Okay. So if someone didn't know about the hot dog conversion, they would think that you're just Gun McGuire? Assuming they knew what Glizzy meant. Sure. I mean, it's in song, so maybe. Yeah. But there's also a Oscar Mayer Wiener in my profile header, so... I think you can jump to conclusions about... Can you, though? <laughs> can you, though? We good, Chris? Yeah. Any more? No. Nope. Okay. Alrighty, guys. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up? We originally thought there was going to be a PRP this week, but that got moved. So the first player run practice will be next week on Tuesday. So we'll give you an update on that. And, I mean, that's pretty much it. So thanks for wa- watching and listening to another episode <laughs> watching, of Fail If You Fought. Uh, big, big weekend or big week for Pac-12 basketball. Um, first big week for Pac-12. Larry Scott's gone, but big big week for Pac-12 basketball as well. UCLA got a couple players back, including Johnny Juzang. Arizona State Marcus Bagley withdrew his name and said he's going back to Arizona State, even though he'd been in the transfer portal. And then obviously USC getting Isaiah Mobley back. So it should be a really fun uh, conference next year as well. And and. So maybe we're seeing the steps of the Pac-12 taking back over as one of the actual power conferences in a sport where they have not won a national championship in many, many years, many, many moons. So maybe the Pac-12 is starting to take those steps to becoming a power again. And, you know, that's what you, you hope to see because you, you want to see those matchups where there's just NBA players all over the court. And the Pac-12 can do that with the type of talent that is in the Los Angeles area in particular, but also in the Seattle and the Phoenix areas, a lot of talent. Um, but they got to keep them home, and you know, keeping some of those players from going into the NBA is really big for them as well. And congratulations to Jamezi Metu, former USC basketball player who will play for Nigeria in the Olympics. Good stuff.
Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of the Family Feud Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. That's Shotgun. That's Chris. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next time. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and $15,000 a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control-Alt-Desire, now streaming on Paramount+.